And that's why I believe um, EDs have to have a backbone. You got to be able, EDs have to be able to know people aren't going to like you. It's not your job to make friends with everybody. It's your job to take care of them. Um, and it's your job to get rid of the people that don't belong in your organization. Here at AMC, we're all about helping nonprofits in governance and strategic planning. If your nonprofit needs help running better meetings, taking better minutes, or implementing better board governance, check out our online training portal at NPO Academy. Or you can drop me a message and I'll be happy to go over options with you. More details are in the show notes. I have invited Brandy Eldridge, the Executive Director for CASA, for Children and Texarkana Children Advocacy Center uh, to join me today on the podcast. Brandy hosts her own uh, podcast with her husband and is part of the Practice of the Practice Podcast Network. Hi, Brandy. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Uh, tell me more about your organization and um, your role there. Sure. Yeah, so I'm the executive director of a nonprofit. We actually house two nonprofits under our umbrella. So the first one is CASA for Children, and the second one is Texarkana Children's Advocacy Center. Both of them are very different, um, but still all involve child abuse. So um, for us, both of those, Texarkana Children's Advocacy Center is under chapter leadership. It's a national organization, and then same with CASA for Children. So when a hotline is called, when a report is being made of abuse and it involves a child, the investigators bring the children to our center where we do a forensic interview on the child, provide advocacy for the child. So a lot of times you see um, like a, a room with a mirror and you can see through it. We're somewhat set up like that. And the reason is because when a child is making an outcry or telling their story of abuse, Mm -hmm. um, in the past, before advocacy centers were around, the child would have to tell it to the police detective, to the child protective services, to an attorney, to sometimes they could tell that same story of abuse seven times. And so advocacy centers are a way to work with all the people involved in the investigation. So the child tells their story one time and does not have to repeat that trauma over and over again. And we have trained forensic interview interviewers that can ask these questions and just find the truth. That's what they're trained in to do. And that's what happens at our center. So they bring the child to us. Um, we have an advocate that greets them, the family or whoever has brought them. And we walk them through this entire process. So once the child has made the outcry, we work with the, the team of people doing the investigation. We then provide the child with either medical therapy or both. So mm -hmm. if the child needs a sexual assault exam, we provide that. Mm -hmm. um, in-house. And we also provide therapy for as long as the child needs it and if their family needs it for, for forever. So we have kids that have come back to us, children that have come back to us after they've turned 18 because they've had some triggers. They come back to us and we do the therapy with them. And this is all free, all free services. So that's mm -hmm. on one side of our building. And then on the other side of our building is CASA for Children, which is another national organization um, that we're a chapter member of. And we walk with the child through the journey of foster care. So if the child was taken out of their home for child abuse or neglect, most of what we see on that side of the building is for neglect. Mm. Um, they're taken away, they're taken out of their home. We provide a volunteer for them um, to follow them along the journey. Because oftentimes in foster care systems, they're moved from foster care to foster care. So uh, no, um, 
doing of the own child. The child has done nothing wrong. They're immediately removed from their home, their friends, their families, um, their schools, their churches, their community. They're taken out of it in an instant when they've done nothing wrong and they're placed in a home. Um, could be a group home. It could be an individual's home where they're expected to, you know, know the rules and adjust very quickly when they're just dealing with trauma. So we mm -hmm. put a volunteer with them to follow them through that entire journey in hopes that it is reconciliation with the family always first. And if not reconciliation with the family, then we walk them along with them in the journey to where they can uh, maybe be adopted into a family and start over again. So that's what our organization does. And I am uh, very grateful and very blessed to be the executive director of that. Perfect. Now, um, there's a few things that you said, outcry. Um, now, um, that term is not used in, in Canada. We use uh, disclosure. So where are you yeah. from, Brandy? Same thing, same thing. Disclosure, what, 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 same thing. Where are you from, Brandy? Yes, yeah, so I am from, <laughs> I'm from Texas. Yeah, from yeah. Texas. Yeah, so but that's an interesting thing you brought up. So we actually are on the state line. So um, our organization serves 10 different counties. We serve two different states. So we serve Texas and Arkansas and the surrounding area. Um, so we also are an hour from Oklahoma and 30 minutes from Louisiana. So we're right here on oh, the border. In that pocket. Yeah. 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 So we're right on the border. So we use disclosure, mm -hmm. we use outcry. Um, and we have had to, which is a great seg segue into policies and procedures and language is that we've had to make sure that we use um, common terms for all states um, and, right. and very yeah. much. And even in our policies and procedures, we always go with whatever the, the highest of all of these states and all of the organizations we work with. So when it comes to policies, we will go with the toughest policy that covers all of it. So that's a, a good segue into that next part if you want to. Yeah, well, I was gonna, yeah, exactly. I was gonna jump into um, like the HR, uh, the HR type of um, aspect of an organization. So what, uh, what would you say would be the differences between the, um, operational duties and board duties, because as you said, your 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 center is obviously not for profit. Um, so that's you know that um, is what we work with, especially. And uh, what um, what are the differences when it comes to human resources in that respect, working with the board and. Yeah, so that's such a huge question that could take hours to unpack, you know. And I think um, just that question alone has so many different caveats and, and, and just branches that could go off. So hmm. in just general, I think um, the roles and responsibility of a, a board is very different from the roles and responsibilities of the CEO or the ED. And mm -hmm. oftentimes, um, and you should, you know, you and your listeners obviously know that when a nonprofit is started, a lot of times it is started by somebody that has a lot of heart um, and, a, and a mission to change the world for for whatever it is they're starting. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, 30 years ago when CASA and the children's advocacies were started, it was because they saw kids falling through the crack and they saw kids that needed um, to not tell their story and be re-traumatized and help in, you know, child abuse. So these people had great hearts and we oftentimes see that nonprofits are started and they have a board come along and they all just really work together um, and as the board grows, those roles change. And as a nonprofit gro go grows, those roles have to change. Mm -hmm. So it's very different depending on where you are in your nonprofit, if you're a grassroots or if you're, you know, 30 years into it. But I think the main role of a board, which will go into HR, 
is the guidance, um, making sure you have the resources you need, the ethics part of it, the funding part of it, and just the oversight. But really the responsibility of the ED is often in smaller organizations, also the HR person. So you have this person that has started with this, you know, huge heart that wants to change the world if it's for foster care or if it's for saving animals. But they may not have the oversight, the business background to be able to grow the organization through the HR aspect of it. And that can be very hairy sometimes. And when you have a, an executive director CEO who doesn't know about HR issues and they have these hiring and firing practices that they don't understand, it can get them in very sticky situations. And that's part of the oversight of the board of building and creating a diversified board that can help you in that process until you can manage that piece of it and sending the executive director to the right trainings. But in my opinion, the executive director, if they don't have an HR person, is the HR person and you have to deal with hiring and firing and policies and procedures and evaluations and and a lot of those things that you learn in business school and a lot of executive directors in fact most executive directors are not business oriented people they have to that's why the board plays such a vital role in selecting and getting that board built that can help you in those areas mm-hmm. did that answer your question yeah yeah absolutely and so you know when it comes to to issues issues arising say um, within the staff team or within um, any, you know, any type of issue that's in the organization. What are the issues that a board, the board will deal with, deal with, and what are the issues that the executive director, CEO should deal with? So yeah. I guess establishing those, those lines, the blurred lines, but making them more clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think those, those are, that's a great question. And I feel like that's where a lot of boards and EDs either butt heads or get entangled. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very good depending on what you feel is every nonprofit is different, how you view the board. I view the board as oversight. I view the board as they hired me to do a job and they are my accountability. They are my resource to do that. Um, anything dealing with personnel issues is definitely something I deal with. The only time I let the board know is if something's going on so they get a heads up but the hiring, the firing, the evaluations, all of that stuff is what the board hired me to do. So I take that job very seriously. The board's job is to evaluate me and make sure I'm doing it right. Also, I think a smart thing is, and most, most boards should, if not, um, have a liaison on the board that if there are issues um, with the ED and staff, uh, that they have somebody that they can go and talk to on the board, one person on the board. Mm. and a liaison on the board. So if the ED doesn't have those practices set up to where the staff feels comfortable coming to the ED and it's gone, or maybe it's gone on too long and they just feel like this ED is not going to listen to them, um, then they have that one designated person on the board that can just be a listening person to take that information to the ED and have the conversation with the ED. Mm-hmm. Um, and give that ED a chance to make it right, to fix whatever's going on in their organization. Um, and if that doesn't work, then I think it's that, that job of that liaison to take it to, then to the board. But there has to be that accountability. Have I had people go to my liaison? Yes, I have. Um, have I tried to make things right? Absolutely. And mo- most often it's a miscommunication of some sort. 
Um, and it's my job as the ED to, to take that responsibility of the miscommunication, whether it was my fault or not, it is perceived as my fault. So it's my job to eat crow and make it right with my staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the board's job to, to bring those issues to me in a non-confrontational way, you know, like, Hey, so-and-so came and talked to me. These were their concerns. You know, I may find them valid or not valid. It doesn't matter. And then it's mm-hmm. my job to make it right so that my board earns that trust and that I earn that trust with them. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, that puts a lot of clarity, um, you know, between the roles there. So thank you. Thanks so much. So when we're talking um, about, you know, a staff and onboarding of staff, um, what is, what do you find that's the most important thing um, when you're going to, so you've hired somebody in your, in your organization. um, What is it that you do that you find that um, helps, um, with the onboarding process. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a disclosure (laughs) is that, is that uh, most of the reasons why things work right is because I have failed at them in the past or I have seen them fail in the past, um, but definitely taken responsibility because I believe that we make maybe our biggest growth through failure. So can I I interrupt for a second? Sure. You're not not the only one. Yeah, but that's awesome that you can talk about it and and know and learn and you know we do learn from our mistakes and oh, thank you for sure. that. that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and for sure for having a staff that calls me on it, you know, that says, yeah, yeah we we do this really badly. Um, this is something we need to do right, and not that I even think about it until you know I've got a girl sitting in her office and she doesn't have the passcode to get on her computer and nobody's greeted her because it was her first day at work, you know, like those mm-hmm. kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah. so now, um, and then COVID puts a spin on everything. So mm. now we have a, we have a, a packet, um, a hiring packet, but I think before that is how we advertise or how we bring people aboard um, is big for us. And again, we are in a different stage of growth than some nonprofits. So this could work. And, but I hope some of these ideas work. I have, um, a team of people that I, when we hire, there's a team of us, ultimately it's my decision. Um, but I don't want that because if I bring somebody on, uh, that's Brandy's pick, you know, that's Brandy's person. And mm-hmm. that doesn't yeah, right. for me create cohesion in the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have wanted people on there before and have pushed to hire that person. But at the end of the day, if the team of people I've put on that hiring committee don't feel comfortable with this person, that's not good because they won't accept them when they come in. Uh, they won't take them under their wing. They won't necessarily um, bond with them in a way that I need people to bond. So for me, culture is the number one thing in my organization um, that we protect. And I tell people that. So in our hiring phase, they go through several interviews. The first one is with a team of people and I possibly won't be in that interview. I want to see, you know, what everybody feels and thinks. And then a second interview with a different team of people. And it may be three people. It may be four, maybe two And then if those, both those teams recommend this person, then I'll have a final interview with them where I, I just talk expectations and, and what we expect as this person on boards with us. Mm -hmm. And if they can agree to that, then we go into, okay, here's the pay. Here's how many days you get off. Here's, you know, all the HR issues. But one of the things that I set in that last interview with me is I need you to know my expectations up front and here they are. And it's basically, 
I'm going to protect the culture of this team over anything else. If you are a gossip, you don't belong here. If you can't be positive um, with your talk, you can't be in this place because we deal with trauma. You have to leave your issues at home. Now with saying that, um, you know, we're a family, everybody's going to have bad days. So our second one we do is we give grace, you know, grace for people that have had bad days, grace when we've messed up, it's okay to make mistakes. You might get in trouble for it. You might get your hand slapped, but then we start over and it's a fresh start the next day. And then team, you know, you've got to have your, have everybody's back. Like if we can't depend on you, like we end up being family. If you're going to have a bad day and say something mean, you need to go that person. You need to, to make it right because we're a team or a family here and we can't cause any disruption in that team um, because of the work that we do and the things that we put out in the world. So you may, uh, you may have a problem with somebody in the office, but outside the office, we're a united front because our community needs us. The kids in our community need us. So, you know, protect the culture. We don't want gossiping. We don't want bad things saying protect, you know, anonymity, all those things. Um, and then teamwork and grace. And I've had to use all of those where I've had staff members come to me and say, Hey, you're really screwing this part up. And I've had to say, you know what, you're right. I'm so sorry. I've, I've been a jerk. Um, can you allow me some grace and thank you for bringing it to me and being able to have those conversations and start over fresh the next day. Um, I think that culture, culture, cultural culture is number one for us protecting it. Yeah. It sounds like a, a bit of a setting the standard of, absolutely. Uh, you know, being able to make mistakes, calling each other on, on your stuff, <laughs> yeah. but also, um, uh, recognizing that, yeah, you did, you did have a fault. There was a mistake there, but how can we move forward with this? Yeah. Boy, yeah. you sound like a great boss. <laughs> no, you know, I don't know. Uh, you, you have to ask the staff about that. I think half the time they love me, half the time they hate me. Um, well, cause you're 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's another yeah. thing, you know, you can't go in there. I think sometimes the staff wants you to be there and, and, their best friend sometimes. And then when they realize you can't be, and they realize the responsibility mm -hmm. that you have, um, you're going to make some people mad. Um, and yeah. anytime a new yeah. role of an ED is coming in, there's going to be a different leadership style. There's going to be a different way of doing things. And your staff, unfortunately is the one that suffers from it. You may have a big turnover and people leave, but then you have the opportunity to hire the people that, you know, you want to set that culture. So, mm -hmm. You know, I think it's getting feedback constantly from your staff and, and my staff feels very equipped to give me feedback. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's, um, it's hard, you know, but if, if we're going to make yeah. a difference in the world, that ego is, is going to be crushed constantly. Well, it's better that than having people talk behind your back. Which they still, uh, they and still do. And I've, I've worked in many, I've worked in the ECE field where there's a lot of women and that's a lot that's very much the culture <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh it would have been nice uh, as a manager myself to have people come to me directly instead and you know i did have some staff that were to, that were able to do that but not not the not the majority and i think that's just people in general if they're healthy or not healthy you mm -hmm. know because i think that when people feel healthy um when they're really doing the work on themselves that they can do that. And I feel like for EDs who are doing work on themselves, they can accept it. So a lot of people or any manager, um, a lot of people don't feel like they could go to that person and say those things because of how 
that what the repercussions are going to be if they do say it. And that is, um, that's for us to do the work so that they do feel comfortable saying that. And, you know, there's probably once a week, somebody calls me or emails me and says, you know, I made them mad. I did something wrong. And I have to look at it from my point of view of, well, I wasn't what I intended it to be, but you know, that was the perception. So I'm going to have to apologize for it and try to work on it. And mm-hmm. that is um, creating that culture. There, there are probably people in my organization, <clears throat> excuse me, that can't stand me. They're not going to say it, but they can't stand me. You know, they, that may be there. And I think anytime it's very important for EDs to know, um, it was something I learned when I was um, in education is that when you are a boss, unfortunately, everyone is going to critique you, whether you're good or whether you're bad, they are going to look for your faults. Mm -hmm. They are going to say they can do your job better than you. And they may be right, but they don't have your job. So part of that is knowing that it is an Island. You are alone and it can be lonely because you can't go to your staff and tell them what's really going on. When, when you had to let somebody go, they can't know those details and they don't know all the details that led up to that. So they may hate you for firing somebody that's worked there for 15 years and they don't know what's gone into that. And it's very important to give information, but it's also very important to protect information. And so there, there are a lot of things until you're in this position that they are not going to understand. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with them not loving you all the time. You're not there to make everyone feel that, that you're their best friend. You're there because you have important work to do and you've got to move an organization forward. And it is a lonely, lonely place sometimes. And that's why you have to have people and a a community of your own that either other executive directors or other people that you can work with and ask these questions to. And sometimes that's the board. Um, The board plays that very vital role that you can go to your board president and say, this is what's going on. And you might hear some rumblings of it. I just want you to know, I'm not coming here to tell you that it's my side or no side. I just want you to be aware. This is what I've been doing. Here's my documentation. Um, It's not easy, but this is something that I may have to do. This is something it's always good to give your board a heads up on what's going on. It doesn't mean that they have any choice in, in the matter and they don't have any, um, I mean, they can't tell you not to, or they can, um, they have that right to tell you, but it's not their role, if that makes sense. Right. So right. Yeah. their role is to support you and to trust you. And you have to earn that trust with your board so that when you do the hard things, they know the full picture. Yeah. So just, um, we were talking, um, beforehand, uh, about, this was a couple weeks ago about, um, stacking the board. So can you explain to our listeners um, what that is? Sure. So the ED's role is not to form a board with all their best friends and all the people that they want on the board. That to me is stacking a board. And that is very dangerous. It's a very slippery slope. Um, And in nonprofits, it's no hidden um, thing that you see when you read in the papers, excuse me, that... uh, ED is fired because they stole money. It happens a Mm. lot. Or the ED was using resources that shouldn't have been used for years. And then they were finally fired after that. So stacking the board is the ED or CEO building a board of their friends and their people they want on the board. 
it's very dangerous one it's not diversified you're going to get the same answers the same thing and you're going to get a lot of agreeableness so it may be a very fun board and it may be a very easy board to pass things but it's not smart um it is unethical in my opinion to stack a board it's not your your job to build your board it's your board's job to build a board now in the beginning it may be that you know a lot of these people you've had to choose them because you started this nonprofit but then it's the board's job to continue to grow that to put those things in place where they have terms and they're rolling on and rolling off because if you're not getting a diversified point of view you are not growing a healthy organization if you're just having board people that are giving you yeses to everything you want, um, that's not good growth. That's not somebody, that's not perspectives and point of views that you need to grow a whole, a whole healthy organization. It will be harder with a diverse board, but it'll be better for your, your organization as a whole when you've diversified your board and you haven't stacked it in your favor. That's what it means to stack a board. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I can see, I can see that happening is, you know, in the very beginning where um, someone has an idea and then they need to create a board. So they have a lawyer friend, they have a accountant friend, they have a this, they have a that. And, and then that's the way they can, in, especially like in Canada, I'm not sure in the United States, I'm sure it's the same, but you create um, your board and then you can apply for societal status, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the not-for-profit type of, um, mm -hmm. type of uh, organization. So I can see how that would happen in the beginning, mm -hmm. how it would, how it would start off, but then eventually um, people want to, people, I mean, the board and the organization wants to move sort of to the next level where governance really comes into place. And so either that founder becomes the president of the board or they become the CEO but then as as that that's a that's a tough role i think for a founder to be especially the ceo or executive director because now they have to take now they have to work in partnership with the board and not have you know all the say they can have the say with the operational um but but yeah but there's a lot of um from i, I talk with a lot of executive directors and and there's the founders are still on the board <laughs> um and that can have its challenges can have some positives as well but uh, as you were saying, yeah, I don't think the movement is is so much there. I mean, I, I th I'm sure that founder can uh, be more of an advisory mm -hmm. figurehead, almost like a king or queen or something of the organization, mm -hmm. but then let go of the reins. Yeah. Yeah. There's research that shows, you know, that the founders of organizations take it so far and then they need to let go of the reins and move more of a CEO business person in there. Um, I mean, there's just, there's so much research on, on the growth of organizations once the founder has stepped aside um, mm -hmm. and really given reins to a business person. And, and sometimes the CEO, much like the founder can still be that figurehead and that works, but they need to have a good, a good director working with them so that mm -hmm. that figurehead is very much shaking hands and going out in the community and giving the message, but is not involved in the day-to-day -day operations. And yeah. that's um, very smart for founders to do. They've got the heart, they've got the passion for it, mm -hmm. but they might not necessarily have that business mind for growth and how to, and sustainability for the organization. So, mm -hmm. you know, if they need to step, 
aside and, and make themselves more of an, a, a CEO and hire an executive director or hire a CEO or a COO and a CFO, that's really where you're going to see some growth. And it's, it's smart to surround yourself of a team of people. So like on mine, I have a director team and there's four of them. Um, and if I'm out of line or I'm not doing something and moving it in the direction it needs to go, I have four other people that I'm discussing my ideas with. So it's never just my idea. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it is my idea and I'm going to push for it because I know it's right, but I've still got pushback from them. There's still that accountability that's saying, well, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? And um, it, it's, it's so that we're not on our own when it comes to decision-making, because if we don't have a diverse point of view, we're only going to see things one way and we're only going to move in one direction that that's not, that's not healthy all the time. Um, right. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that with any other organization, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we would surround ourselves and we'd get the best advice. And part of an ED is hiring people that are smarter than you. That's the best ED is the one that's going to hire people that are smarter mm-hmm. than them and can take advice from other people. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> it's only nope. my point. It's only my, opinion. <laughs> it may not be that good, but it's, I, I believe that with all my heart, yeah. hire smarter people than me. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, smarter in other areas, right? <laughs> like other areas of the organization that you absolutely, need. yeah, like IT, like marketing, like you know those type of things. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you did, had mentioned um, phases of growth uh, a little bit just just now, um, and what have you seen with not for profits uh, in respect to that? And also, um, like for example, how like the staff see themselves um, in their role at the organization. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, that's one of those big, huge questions. We, you know, you have that startup, that grassroots initiation, um, and then you move more into that growing. Um, but, but really the hard part comes, the growing is kind of the fun part um, when you see movement and you see momentum. But then you've got that sustainability part, which is often sometimes the hardest part. How are we going to do this long-term in growth because growth can happen very suddenly, but how do we sustain it? How do we diversify our budget? How do we diversify our board? How do we hire on? How do we begin to give benefits? You know, just those things that you start, as you grow, you start thinking, how do we serve more people? Um, How do we grow in the midst of COVID and fundraise? So then you've got that grassroots growing stage. Then you've got your sustainability stage. And then you've got this, this phase when you've been there a minute Um, that you can almost become stagnant. And that is a very, again, dangerous part when you've, you've had sustainability, but then everything's working really well and you become stagnant. And when you become stagnant, you have two choices. And this is where a lot of nonprofits either shut down or really rise to the top. And those are not times in growth, those aren't, those, that's a cycle that's going to start again. So you'll either grow or you'll, you'll have this renewal phase and then you'll either hit another, you're going to hit another plateau, another stagnant point a couple years later, and you're going to either go down and lose staff and become stagnant, or you're going to hit another bump and go up again. And so it's this, it's once you've, you've gone through that uh, grassroots and growing and sustainability stage that you start to see dips and, That's when sometimes it's a change in ED, a change in board, a change in staff member, um, adding things on, taking things away, going back to the basics sometimes is what organizations do. But that's really where your board comes in for that strategic planning piece of it. 
and says, you know, that's, that's a huge role for them. And your staff is coming together and saying, where are we, where are we going? What are we doing? What are our goals? What aren't our goals? What is our mission and our vision? Are we getting away from that? Do we need to come back to that? Or are we growing in different areas where we may need to split? I mean, so there's so many places in that, but I think that's the part that executive directors and boards feel good about is that stagnation. And that's probably the place that they don't need to feel good about is the stagnation piece of it. And that's where a lot of boards and executive directors start to see a dip and it, and it go down um, in morale and funding because they've done it for so long. It's almost like they're checking in mm-hmm. and strategic planning becomes um, a compliance issue and not so much a living document and how we run our organization and the vision and the dreams that we have for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then with, um, how do they see that as their role in the organization? Yeah. So I think you have to make opportunities for your staff to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, I believe, I believe in shared leadership. I I really believe in creating, and that's part of that growing phase of of creating teams of leaders, team leaders to, um, you know, my job isn't to know how to do everybody's job. I I don't, that's not, that's what we hire people to do. My job is to keep the organization moving. So it's very important to have these leaders and begin raising up leaders. So the ED has a multifaceted job of creating leaders and teaching leadership skills. And if they don't know them, then learning them along the way. But it's very important to empower your staff to grow um, with you and giving them those roles and responsibilities and empowerment and autonomy. I believe in autonomy of giving your staff autonomy to do what they know how to do and do it right. It's not my job to micromanage them. It's my job to grow them. And I, I believe in growth. I believe in teaching leadership skills. Um, I believe everyone in my organization is a leader in our community and a leader in our organization. So they have teams and they have little teams and those little teams have little teams. And um, it's, it's finding those strengths and what people do. And we've all heard putting the right people in the right seats in the right bus. And that's, a, there's a lot of truth to that of working with your, your staff to find out and watch their growth and where they really grow in places. And it may not be where we thought it would be. And so being able to, to ask them, um, what do you love doing and what is it that you hate doing in your job? Cause we all have some things that we hate that we have to do no matter what, but if somebody loves those things, man, how nice is it to be able to shift those around when our staff is growing with us and they're growing in their leadership and they're growing in their knowledge and their expertise to be able to find those places for them to be happy. Because I believe that you grow in your strengths and your weaknesses are just your weaknesses that you've just always kind of got to work on. But when you really put them in a strength area and, and give them that, that autonomy to do things, um, you you will see growth and you'll see people staying and you'll see more retention and retention is good for the budget and retention is good for morale. Um, and when you have staff members that don't want to grow, um, you know, that's a whole other issue of how we, how we can handle that. And a lot of times the staff that is growing and the staff that does feel empowered and the staff people that um, want to move the organization forward will make it difficult for that person that does not. And they end up sticking out like a sore thumb because when there's movement and rapid movement and, and consensus of a group, and I believe in consensus of a group, um, the people that don't want to be there shouldn't be there. 
but sometimes they stay. For sometimes they stay. And that's the job <laughs> of the ED to make sure they don't. Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> and that's hard. That is so hard, especially so hard. for nonprofits. Yeah. Nonprofit people just have such big hearts. They don't want anybody to hurt. They, you know, this yeah. is a single mom and she's doing this. And, and that's why I believe um, EDs have to have a backbone. You got to be able, EDs have to be able to know people aren't going to like you. It's not your job to make friends with everybody. It's your job to take care of them. Um, and it's your job to get rid of the people that don't belong in your organization. I can lay my head down at night and say that I did what's best for the organization. And when we look at it from a very one-sided point of view that this person is toxic and they don't need to be, but I don't want to fire them because they're a single mom and they've got this, then you give that person every opportunity to succeed, every single opportunity to succeed. And when they don't, you cannot feel bad. You need to cut it because that will seep into your nonprofit or your organization so quickly. You'll lose respect from your staff members if you don't nip it in the bud. Like if, if your staff members know that this person can do this, then what's them stopping them from saying, well, then I can do that um, if nothing's going to happen to this person. And so there's a very strategic way to do that. There's a documentation process and a growth process for that person. And if they're not willing to get on board, it is your responsibility to let them go and be happy somewhere else. It's not with your organization. And that is a very difficult thing for people to do, but there's a strategic way of doing it that you can develop in yourself. Don't make a, a quick fire. Don't fire somebody because you think you can, um, mm. you know, give them every opportunity to succeed first and have those crucial conversations, those honest conversations about what you're seeing, um, not from an emotional point of view, but from behaviors that you've witnessed that are not in compliance with what your expectations and your policies and procedures and your employee handbook says. If you don't have an employee handbook and policies and procedures and expectations and norms, you don't do anything. Get those in place first. Get those in place. <laughs> yeah. Because you are not protected. And um, yeah. Yeah. You just can't do that to a person. And that, and that may be why they're not acting that way is because they don't have clear expectations. They don't, they can't read your mind and they don't have the handbook. So, um, but it is the job of the ED once all that's in place to do what's right for the staff. And if that person needs to go, that's what's right for the staff and the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Yearly reviews um, with staff is what I found uh, worked. Uh, also documentation of behaviors and very detailed, unfortunately, yeah. when, when it becomes a problem. And, and that is, that is a challenge. And I know I found that very challenging uh, yeah. where I was, but I was a manager and I had um, a childcare manager above me. So I was able to get her support um, on how to do that because this center that I was running um, wasn't unionized and mm. it was just kind of, not that that's a difference, but that um, a lot of the other child cares under our hub were. So they had those policies, those documentational procedures and that. So I adopted those and then unfortunately ended up letting a person go. But then she's gone on to be an amazing worker at a more, um, even more of an inner city worker in um, I guess what you'd call the projects and in, in mm -hmm. Vancouver in the inner city. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, it's, it is so hard and I know because I was a manager <laughs> of a daycare. I also was pretty much the chair of the board too uh, because they didn't really know how to, how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still going. <laughs> the, well, that's good. The daycare is still going. It's that's still good. cutting, and I'm so proud. And that was 
I started there in 2003 and left in 2007. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's good. So was there anything that, that I missed, Brandy, that you wanted to, to chat about? at all? No, I mean, we could go on for days. So I think that we covered, <laughs> <laughs> we covered a lot. And I, I hope that, um, you know, people in nonprofits will utilize your resources and, and really mm. utilize what you guys offer because nonprofit work is hard. Um, we have the heart, but we have to have the business for sustainability. Mm -hmm. And you guys offer a lot of resources for people in nonprofits and, and different organizations. And I think it's smart to surround yourself, educate yourself on what other people are doing and what they're doing better than you. Um, because you'd be surprised how many people are willing to share their resources with you, especially in the nonprofit mm. world. Absolutely. So thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. And I know something I missed, um, the name of, uh, your podcast. What's the name of, Oh yeah. So my husband is a, a therapist and he is um, a very beta male, which is just a, he's not the, the alpha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's just a nice guy. He's a Aww. nice guy. And, and I'm more of the alpha female. I'm more right. of the assertive outgoing move forward kind of guy or person. And he's more not. And so yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of talk about, what that looks like in the modern world and what that looks like in marriage and relationships, partnerships in parenting in the workplace. And we, um, you know, we call it the beta male revolution because what kind of beta male is ever going to start a revolution? It's kind of ironic. And we just talk about, right. um, yeah, we talk about how to navigate these issues and the softer side of masculinity and the, the upside of strong females and how to support each other and, and how to navigate it together with um, your partners. And it doesn't have to be an alpha female male. It, it's just really about ego and breaking down those traditional roles that we've, we've known so long. Great. And That's is it, it, is it on um, like Apple? So podcast or Spotify? Yeah, Apple, Spotify, there's a couple other ones that we're on, but it's the beta male revolution. And there's a, the symbol is a beta fish. So <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, but we've, we've had a really good time doing it and we've um, met some amazing people and New York bestseller people and just um, oh, wow. people that are putting good things out in the world. And it's like free, free therapy for us. <laughs> so right? we enjoy, yeah, we enjoy doing that. We enjoy, um, we enjoy listening to the experts in the area and, and getting advice from them. So thank you for that uh, shameless plug. But, yeah. Oh yeah. No <laughs> and then um, uh, with, uh, CASA and your uh, Texacana um, organization. How can we learn more more about um, about those? Yeah, so you can go to um, any child advocacy center, the National Child Advocacy Center (NCA) and find out more, or CASA, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. Mm -hmm. So you can look, and um, they are all over the world, all over the United States. Um, I'm. I haven't not checked if they're in Canada, but they're usually in every big city and it's just okay. advocating for kids in foster care or kids that have been abused or neglected um, and how you guys can help. So you can look at us and we're at um, CASA Texarkana and CAC Texarkana. So um, that's it, man. If you guys can get out there, the biggest thing to do is report child abuse if you see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.